Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Boy, we are glad you're here. We are in week three of a series that we have uh, entitled Neighborly. And this series is really uh, about one thing. It's really built on this uh, teaching that Jesus had when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is this, Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. But when we think about neighbor, really who is our neighbor? In fact, if you really look up the word neighbor, it's built off of a root that means those that are near to to us. So we think about our neighbor as somebody who might live next door to us or who is close to us. But Jesus, when he's talking about a neighbor, he really blows that out of the water. And Jesus is really talking about more of the attitude of our heart and the actions of our hands as we love those folks that are in our life. And so in this series, we've, we've looked at a couple things, but here, here's, here's one of the things that, that you can take to the bank, and it's really what Jesus is talking about. You can measure your vertical relationship with God, in, in a sense, how you're doing in your relationship with God by your horizontal relationships with those around you. That's why this is so, so super important. And in week number one, as we were building this series, in week number one, we said that a neighbor is someone who is, who is bold. And we took a look at the four friends who lowered their paralyzed buddy through the roof to get into the presence of Jesus. That, that's boldness. And so if I'm going to be a neighbor, there's a sense that I've got to have some boldness about me. Uh, number two, last week as Josh was teaching through the story of Zacchaeus, it's important that we're aware. When a grown man has climbed up in a tree, um, he's got something going on in his life, so we might want to check into that. So a neighbor is someone who is aware. And today, we're going to see an important facet of what it means to be a neighbor. And that means that we're humble. But when we think about humility, the first thing that comes to our mind is being a doormat. That's what we think. We have this negative view of humility. We, we think someone who is humble is just someone who is, who is weak. We think someone who is humble is someone who just has no drive or someone who has no ambition in, in their life. And that couldn't be any, anything further from the truth. That's not at all what Jesus is, is talking about. And so today we're going to press into that. In fact, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open them up to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 1, I have to tell you this, like I'm watching you as you're watching me, right? Have we talked about that before? So I'm watching you. And last service, I just got stopped at my, in my tracks at this point. I could not say anything. I was sort of just, I don't know. And you're going to think it's, it's weird, but whatever. I'm looking out right out here. One of our guys, John Capshaw, he's a granddaddy. He had his granddaughter, a little girl. She's sitting in his lap and he had the Bible open. And she's got her pen in there reading scripture. I'm about two weeks, Amy and, about, Amy and I are about two weeks away from having our first granddaughter, so I'm kind of in that moment right now, so I'm so, sort of thinking, yeah, sign me up for some of that. But that's really what family worship is about. That's a picture of family worship that I'll just never forget, just a granddad sitting with his granddaughter in his lap studying God's word. So let, let's just sort of, let's just do that. We're just, we're just family, we're here, we've got God's word open. But let me begin, before we read scripture, uh, let me ask you a question. John, let me ask you this question, and everybody else here. If you had one day left to live, how would you live it? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? If you had one day left to live, how, how would you live it? And so I, I think about that for me. Like if I had one day left to live, it would start with, with what I ate for breakfast. Like I'd, I'd want to I'd go down swinging. Anybody else? Uh, yesterday my, we, we woke up and Amy uh, has been following this uh, food truck and they do acai bowls. Are you familiar with that? 
You're not? You should be. It was really, really good. And she said, we should go have an acai. I think that's how you say it. Is that how you say it? You guys are looking at me weird like you've never heard that. I think it is. Some of you don't care. Whatever. I said, uh, yeah, let's go. And so we, we, we went, and um, we were there, and, and uh, I was looking at all the ingredients in these bowls of fruit and wh- whatever, and one of, one of the ingredients I didn't, didn't under, understand, and I, I think Amy asked the lady, what, what is this? And she said, well, it's, it's, it's algae. She said, but it's good for you. I hope it is. I mean, that's going to be my hope, right? If you're going, going to put some algae in a, a bowl. And uh, so I'm sitting there, and we're eating a, a acai bowl with, with, with algae, and I'm uh, thinking, this is my last day. I'm not doing this. Like, I'm going, I'm going the double old-timer's breakfast, right? Extra gravy and biscuits on that, that deal. If you had one day to live, how would you live it? You say, well, why are you talking about that? Because Jesus knew. And in John chapter 13, Jesus has one day left to live, and here's how he lived it. All right? So let, let's pick up that, that context. We're going to see what he does. It was just before, verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world uh, John says, and to go to the Father. So Jesus is on this heavenly timetable. In other words, all these things are set. Jesus' life isn't taken. He lays it down. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I cannot tell you how impactful this passage is, and uh, we'll spend some time with it. But here's who's in this room. All right, this is the Last Supper, right? I mean, all of you have seen a, seen a painting, right? You, and, and we think about the Last Supper, and we think about this must have been in this upper room. This must have been such a spiritual experience to walk in this room, and there, uh, you know, there's praise music playing, and, and the disciples are in prayer when Jesus walks in. And if you study Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, we understand that that's not what was going on at all. When Jesus comes into the room, the boys, the disciples are arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. In fact, James and John, two of the three in the innermost circle with Jesus, they have their mama there, and she goes to Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, when you come into my kingdom, I want to make sure my boys, one's on the right, one's on the left. Hey, I know we have kids in here for family worship. Don't bring your mama in on stuff like that, right? I mean, people will think less of you, I, I, I promise. So that, that, that's what's happening. So we have, this, we have this competitiveness. Even though Jesus had been teaching them for the last three years about what it means to be a servant, to be humble, they didn't get it. They're arguing over who's going to be the greatest, and that's the con- context and it says he loved them even to the end he continues to show them grace right now verse 2 it says the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot that's a hard passage for me too sister I got you that's a hard one to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so just in case you check out and, 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 and don't finish the message, verse 3. Let, let's look at that again. And here's what I want to press into. So many people think to be humble means to be weak. To be humble means that I'm a doormat. To be humble means that, that I just let people walk all over me and I have no ambition but it says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Does that sound like Jesus is operating from a place of weakness or from a place of strength? Place of strength, right? He knows where he, come, where he has come from and knows where he's going. So it's this settled uh, authority issue, power, and understanding a clear identity and mission for his life. So he got up from the meal. Jesus gets up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, at this point, the disciples begin to know what's going on. They knew when they walked into this room that there should have been someone there to wash the feet. 
That was just a common courtesy, just like if somebody comes into your house in the south today. I just came back from the Explorer lunch. The first thing we do at the Explorer lunch is invite people to have some sweet tea. I mean, it's the south, right? There should have been somebody there to meet that need, and, and, and there is nobody there to do that. And so when Jesus gets up and he takes off kind of his rabbi robe, and then he, he takes on the form of a slave, because here's the truth of the matter. Jewish servants didn't even wash feet. It was non-Jewish slaves who washed feet. And the disciples should have been doing that. What I'm about to say, does in, in, there, in no way am I meaning for this to be humorous in any way at all. I'm just trying in some way for you and for me to get our mind around the magnitude of what it was like for the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, for God in the flesh to be wiping and cleansing the feet of these men. In some ways, maybe it would be just a little bit like you leaving this worship service and driving home today. If you're watching online, maybe you can get this in your mind. And as you come into your neighborhood, there's a police presence there. And they're checking everyone, checking identification before they let people in. And you can see there's helicopters flying over. There's all types of security vehicles. You know something major has gone on. And so you, you, you get there. You show them your... Uh, driver's license, you tell them your address, and they say, aha, you're the one we've been waiting for. And to that, you're like, uh-oh. And, and they radio ahead, and all of a sudden, a, a group of security comes and leads you to your house. You're expecting the worst, except when you get there, you overwhelm. There's obviously somebody who is there at your house that is pretty prominent. Come to find out, it's the Queen of England and the royal family is there, and they have come to clean your bathrooms. And I know at first we laugh because that's humorous. Like the Queen of England cleaning our bathrooms, that could be humorous. But it pales in comparison to the Messiah cleaning the feet of his disciples. After that, verse 5, he pours water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, this is fascinating, who said to him, Lord, are you going to, are you going to wash my feet? Now, here, here's Simon Peter. Simon Peter has this tendency to talk first and think second. I, I've been there a lot. Now, here's what Simon Peter knew. Simon Peter knew he should be the one washing Jesus' feet, but watch this. If Simon Peter would have gotten up and he would have started and he would have washed Jesus' feet first, then what would, have he, what would he have been expected to do? He would have been expected to do what else? Wash the rest of their feet, but he's not doing that because he's above that, right? Or so he thinks. And now Jesus is coming to wash his feet. And Simon says, you're going to wash my feet and Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later, later you're going to understand what I'm doing. Now watch this. Please listen. This is important. Jesus is saying, what I'm doing in washing your feet, even though you look at, look at that and think that that is a picture of humility, it is not going to be the most humbling thing I do in the next 24 hours. Because what, what you're going to experience in the next 24 hours, you don't know it now, but, but I, I, I will be arrested. I will be beaten. There'll be a mock trial, and I'll be stripped of my clothes and, 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 and crucified between common criminals. It, it's it's going to be even more humbling than that. And Simon Peter says, you shall never, look, look, look at verse 8. Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. 
I love his response. I love Simon Peter's response. Then Simon Peter replied, if you grew up in church, you know this story. Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. All of me, Jesus, sponge me off to the glory of God. I want to make sure I've been without you and I've been with you and I want to stay with you because I haven't experienced anything out there without you like what it is to be with you. So I want to make sure I am with you. And then what Jesus said is some of the most important theology in the New Testament and it's stuff that confuses us but Jesus says it with such clarity, and I want you to understand it in this context. Listen to how Jesus responds to Simon Peter in verse 10. Jesus answered, this will save your sanity, if you understand this. This passage has saved my sanity, especially with dealing with doubts. You don't have to raise your hand here. Any of you ever dealt with doubts in your spiritual life? I think we probably all have. Listen to what Jesus says to Simon Peter. Those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. What what Jesus is saying to Simon Peter is, Pete, because you know and have trusted and believe that I am Messiah, even though you haven't done it perfectly, but you have trusted and known me to be Messiah and you have placed your faith in me, you are clean. And you don't need another bath. You need only your feet to be washed. But can I tell you some good news here today? If you have repented of your sins, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, the Bible says that you are clean. And that's why we're here to worship the Lord today because of what he's done for us. Is that, is that not good news? He says you're, you're clean. Yeah, seven of you. <laughs> but then Jesus says this, you need only to have your feet washed. And to that we're like, I, I, I thought I was clean, but then what's this deal with, with, with feet washing? Here's what Jesus is doing in one verse. He's saying what theologians write entire books about. He is, he's showing the difference between justification and sanctification. Now, watch this. Some of you are like, see, that's why I don't like all those theological terms. You'll like this. You'll like this. Justification is what happens the moment you repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ. The Bible says we've been justified. We have been rendered innocent, completely innocent, even though we're guilty, right? Justified means just as if we've never sinned. That's, the, that's what happens the moment you put your faith and trust in Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying to Peter. He's saying, you are clean. I have justified you. But then I need to, I, let me wash your feet. That is sanctification. That means after I have been born again, my sin debt has been met, I'm never going to have to pay for my sins again. But as a believer, I have dirty feet. I mean, I pick up stuff in my sandals along the way. I have picked up this stuff this week from the world, right? That's on my sandals. And so sanctification is is that part part of this process that the Lord cleanses our feet that brings us into a growing relationship with the Lord, right? These things have kind of hindered our walk with him. It's like walking around with a bunch of mud on your feet. You're slowed down spiritually. And so Jesus sanctifies us and he cleanses us as we confess these sins. Not so that we can be born again, that's already happened, but so that we can continue to grow in our relationship with Christ. Does that make sense? Really a cool passage, right? Now, verse 11, Jesus says, he says, you're, you're, you're clean, but not every one of you is clean because he's talking to the Judas is there who's not trusted Christ as, as his Savior. Verse 11, for he knew who was going to betray him. Jesus knows, knows who's going to betray him. Um, that is why he said not every one of you was clean. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He's asking a question. You call me, this is Jesus, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. 
I'm the one who is teaching you. I'm the one who has also redeemed you. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. Here we go. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. Look at this. So important that you should do as I have done for you. Now, when Jesus said you should wash one another's feet, what is the context of that for us? Does that mean that we as a church need to go back to foot washing? Any of you grow up in a church where they washed feet? Yeah, yeah, I, I've been those foot washing services. I've done that uh, before, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a, it's a humbling thing. It's a cool thing. But the bigger picture here, what Jesus is saying is we wash one another's feet, that we would stoop and be servants of each other. We would serve each other. There would be nothing beneath us. He's saying, you guys walked into this room, and washing each other's feet, you were beneath that. But I'm showing you because I've washed your feet that there is nothing beneath you. Now, you need to understand that. I have set you an example, verse 15, that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, uh, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent me. In other words, he's saying, you guys think you're greater than me? And they would say, no, no, we're not greater than you. And if I, your master, has washed your feet, how much more should you do this? Look at verse 17. Now that you know these things, this is important, this is so important. It's the title of our message, The Forgotten Path to Greatness. Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's look at three things just just very quickly here today that I'm going to be honest with you. They can transform everything about you. They'll transform your marriage. Kids, if you're here, and listen, this summer, just been frustrated in your relationship with your brother and sisters. It can translate, just transform your family. It can transform every relationship around you if you understand these principles. Number one. Neighbors know who they are not. We're going to talk about humility. If I'm a neighbor in the sense, a biblical sense that Jesus is talking about, I know who I'm not. I know there's, there is, I, I'm not above anything. That because of who I am, that I'm not above anything. That's what Jesus is trying to teach them. Here's what you're not. You're not above anything that you can stoop and serve. That's really what humility means. It's a picture of stooping. This is all in the context of the disciples arguing over who's the greatest. And Jesus says, no, you misunderstand greatness. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. Jesus says you're just following the wrong path to greatness. All right? Biblical humility. Watch this. This is important. Watch this. Biblical humility is this. It's simply the opposite of selfishness and empty conceit. That's what biblical humility is. It's the opposite of selfishness and empty conceit. What's empty conceit? It's arrogance. It empty, it's just, just kind of puffing up and just saying things about myself that's really not true about myself because a true definition of humility is having a correct estimation of who I am. Look at Philippians chapter 2. I'm going fast because this is so good and I want you to get this because it will change everything. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, talking about humility. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, here it is, here's how we walk this out. What does it mean to be, to be humble? In humility, value others above yourself. That's what it means to be humble, to value other people above yourself. It's not being self, it's the opposite of selfishness. It's putting others' needs ahead of your own. That's what Jesus was doing when he washed the disciples' feet, even though it was his last day on planet earth. I mean, it is my last day on planet earth. I'm thinking about me, aren't you? I mean, you're trying to be too spiritual. You are too, right? But he's, this is the most unselfish person who's ever lived, and it's a picture of humility. Look, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others right? So knowing what I'm not, 
knowing what I've been called out of. I've been called out of pride. I've been called out of selfishness. I've been called out of power-hungry living. I've been called out of competitiveness. That's what was going on inside that room as Jesus walks in. They're just competing. They're proud. They're arrogant. And Jesus shows them another way. Now, I'm going to make just a big, bold statement, man, it, and it is gonna kinda, it's going to kind of rock some of you. But you will never in your life experience true love without true humility. Can I say that to you again? Because we live in a culture and everybody wants to experience true love, right? You're a 17-year-old girl here today and you say, I hope one day to experience true love. You will never experience true love without true humility. Now let me unpack that just a little bit. Because one of the greatest virtues of love is humility. Think about love like a diamond. Are you with me? Think about love like a diamond with many facets. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we, we know is the love chapter, if you've studied the Bible, it starts telling you a lot of the facets of love. It says love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not rude. And then in 1 Corinthians 13 chapter 5, it says love is not self-seeking. I would say perhaps the most important attribute of love is love is not selfish. Love puts, another, love puts another person's needs ahead of their own. I mean, if Jesus would have walked in that room as a, as a selfish man thinking about his needs and what he was about to go through, he would have never humbled himself and served those guys. But he walks in thinking about their needs and reaches down and serves them. That's why you'll never have true love in your life without humility. If your marriage is stuck today, it could be that all you've had is attraction, infatuation, but never true love that is evidenced by humility, putting another person's need ahead of their own. And uh, I, I'm, as I'm speaking, I, I want you to think about this. As I'm speaking, I'm trying to stay at one step ahead of you of like where you're going as you're listening. And I'm wondering if some of you have already went there and you'd say, you know what, that's cool. I kind of understand what you mean, putting another person's need ahead of my own. But listen, I've got some doozies in my life. And if I do that, I'm just afraid that they will just stink and take advantage of me. And so there's some people that, 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 that aren't worthy of that kind of humility. Let me remind you for a moment. Let me remind you for a moment of the people in that room that Jesus washes their feet. Judas betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. Peter, that night, is going to deny him how many times? Help me. Three. The last time he's cursing to a young girl, denying he knows anything about Jesus, he washes his feet. James and John invite their mama to come in and, and bargain with Jesus for them so that they can sit at the right and the left of, of Jesus. I mean, Thomas, Thomas is a dude that says, you know what, after the resurrection of Jesus, he said, I'm not going to believe that Jesus is alive until I, I see the marks in his hands and in his, his side. Three of them, as Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, right after this meal, Jesus says, would you guys watch with me and pray? And what do they do? Boom, they're out. All of them really scattered at his rest. Here's what you need to know. A neighbor realizes that imperfect people, and that's who was in that room that night as Jesus washes their feet, humbles himself and washes their feet, Neighbors realize that imperfect people are now the authorized agents to receive what I owe the king. You see that? That makes sense to you? As a neighbor, and I live in humility, I realize that imperfect people are now the authorized agents to receive what I owe the king. Hey, can I talk to six, seven, eight-year-olds who are here? 
right? Can I talk to you? Here's, I'm going to give you some homework. I'm thinking uh, Pastor, Pastor Josh has given you a worship folder you can follow along, and so you, you've been doing that, but I want to talk to you for just a second. You don't have to listen to me after that. Uh, I mean, your parents haven't been for a while, so no big deal. Good with it. Here, here's, here's the definition of Here's what it means to be humble. Here's how you can be humble today when you leave. Treat your mom and dad like it's their birthday today. Treat your brother and sister like it's their birthday. Do you know what it's like when it's somebody's birthday? I mean, it's about them, isn't it? It's about where they want to go eat. It's about what they want to do. You know how it is to treat somebody like it's birthday. Or, or better yet, you know how it is when people, you want to be treated when it's your birthday. But humility is putting another person's needs ahead of your own. Treat them like it's their birthday. What, 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 would, your, what would your marriage be like? What would your family be like? I mean, what, what would our families be like if we really did that, if we really consistently put each other's needs ahead of our own? I, I've told this story all weekend. My wife's here. Uh, now I'll have to tell it completely accurate. We have a, I mean, we, we, we have a, we have a lab. He's, he's a hundred-ish pounds. He's really heavy. He lives to eat. He eats to live. He likes breakfast at five. No exaggeration. I like breakfast at 6.37. It's way better for me. And so he, he wakes up by, he wakes us up. He stands up and he just starts slapping his ears against his, his head. We've given him eardrops. We thought his, ear, his ears aren't itching. It's just how he wakes us up. We call him secretariat because he's, our, our, our bedroom is hardwood floors. He's, 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 he's like big as a racehorse. And him walking around, it's like secretariat, the triple crown winner, walking around, comping around in our, in our room. And there are mornings, man, when he's doing that at five. And I'm like, I hope she hears him. I'm going to act like I'm asleep. I don't hear him. Thursday morning, secretariat's up at 5. Thursday's the new Sunday for me, right? Because we have our Thursday night service, first service of the weekend. Thursday's the new Sunday. I'm thinking about humility, treating uh, my spouse like it's her birthday, treating other people like it's her birthday. And so I'm lying there in bed with secretariat starting, starting his walk. And I'm thinking, if it was Amy's birthday today, what would I do? Well, the first thing I'd do is I'd get up and feed the dogs, right? And so I did. Hashtag humble, right? Took Facebook, <laughs> took a shot of that, you know, at five. I had that out on Instagram. I don't know if you saw it, but I did that so you could see that. Love my wife, right? Yeah, not, never mind. I'm not on whatever. Some of you do that, right? Probably need to look at your humility if you have to put that out on. Anyways, and I don't want him to go there. I'm not. I'm leaving that on. But how can we really treat others in our life? Like it's our birthday. I think kids can get that. Do you understand that? It's a pretty simple application, isn't it? What would your relationship with your brother and sister be like if you treated them every day like it was their birthday? Would it be different or the same? I think different, right? Let's look at number two. Neighbors know who they are. And being a humble neighbor is realizing I'm not a, do- not a doormat. I mean, I-, I grew up, and I grew up, and I had a false view of humility. I thought I could never really, like if somebody bragged on anything I, I did, if, like as I was an athlete, if I, you know, if somebody bragged on how I played, I didn't, which didn't happen a lot, but if they did, I, I didn't ever feel like I could say, you know, thank you. Man, I appreciate that. I always just felt, you know, hey, you know, whatever. I, I just wanted to deflect that because I thought that was being arrogant. Instead of realizing that, you know, humility comes from a place of, of, of strength and we can be confident in who God has called us to be. You see that? I mean, you wouldn't go into a job interview. Think about this. If you carry this, this false humility, which we have, we carry it to extremes. If you're in a job interview and, and the person interview says, well, tell me what you're good at. Nothing, man. Stink, but I'm humble. Great, we'll hire you. 
No, we can have some confidence in that. Why? Because humility is, a lot of, is not a lack of confidence or a low opinion of yourself. Look at John 13, verse 3. Look again. Look, this is such an important passage, and this will help you. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, so the authority issue was settled. Listen, I want to tell you this. This is free. If you're not under the authority of Jesus Christ, you're under the authority of the world. Does that make sense? And you'll be a slave to their opinion, and it'll wear you out, right? But being under the authority of Jesus Christ, I just want to tell you something is the most freeing thing you could ever have in your life, right? Maximum freedom comes when we submit to authority. That was free, right? All right? Jesus knew that God had put all authority under him. He knew where he had come from, and he knew where he was going, right? So biblical, watch this, biblical humility flows out of strength and security. Here's a Chinese proverb that I read this week and I thought was pretty cool. The fuller the ear of rice, the lower the, the, lower the stalk bends. The fuller the grain of rice, the stronger, the more vibrant, the healthier the grain of rice, the lower the stalk bends. The more I know who I am in Christ and what God has done, then the more willing I am to be humble. You see that? Now watch your notes. Take a look at this. Jesus knew. This is important. This is important. Jesus knew his identity. Do you know yours? Who are you? Who are you? I would say you can be a sum total of who God says you are. Completely forgiven for for one, a child of the king. You see, Jesus knew his identity, knew his mission. He was here to bring God glory. What's your mission? And he knew his destiny. Here's how this plays out. Listen, I think this is important. If you're in Christ, let me ask you a question. You're going to have to play along with me. If you're in Christ here today, not assuming everyone in this room is in Christ, but if you're in Christ, is your past forgiven? Your past sin debt, is it forgiven? I'm asking. Yeah? Is your future secure because of what Christ has done for you? I'm asking. Yeah. So what does that make you in the present? I think it makes you free to humbly serve those around you. If your past, if your past is forgiven and your future is secure, I think that puts you in a place of strength to humbly serve those around you in the present. Does that make sense? I think, I think that's where it's at. And serving, now, what I'm about to say, what I'm about to say, Some people will be offended by it, and I'm making a generalization here, okay? You understand that? I'm not saying that in every situation what I'm about to say is, is, is you. You understand that? But I think in many times, I spend a lot of my time now or more time working with pastors who are burned out in ministry. Uh, in fact, I'm going to jump on a plane here in just a few hours and, and, and go and, and do a little bit of that. Uh, when I get asked to speak now, it's more asked to speak to folks who are burned out in ministry. But people are not just burned out in ministry. People are burned out in their careers. People are burned out serving in the church, right? There's a lot of burnout. So one of the, do you hear what I said? One of the places that burnout comes from, did, please hear what I said. One of the places that burnout comes from is serving out of insecurity, Because when you serve out of insecurity, it will drain you, and it will destroy relationships around you. 
There are so many folks that are serving out of insecurity, and watch, I wish I had more time to talk about this. What does it mean to serve out of insecurity? Well, serving out of insecurity can look like this. You're serving for a blessing instead of from a blessing. Does that make sense? If I'm serving for a blessing, then you know what? I just worked worked in the preschool area for an hour. God, I hope you saw that, and I hope that's going on my account, right? And if you're that's serving out of a place of insecurity. I'm serving for God to bless me instead of understanding I am completely blessed because what Christ has done for me in completely obliterating my sin debt and his Holy Spirit is dwelling inside me. Does that that make sense? If I'm serving for my significance, many times people serve and do things because it makes them feel significant and they love people to notice that and they can never get enough of that. If, 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 If you're serving so you can receive significance, you're serving out of insecurity. We, we, we should, where, where do we get our significance? I tell you where we should get our significance. We should get our significance from the fact that we have been adopted by the king. Does that make sense? That's where I get my significance, not because of something I do that other people notice. And so if you're serving out of insecurity, it will, it will burn you out. You see, C.S. Lewis said this, and I want to turn the colonel, colonel, corner, corner's the word, John. Did you get that? Turn the corner and head for home. I'm glad you're sitting here. I may just tap out. Can you finish this up in just a minute? He could. I guarantee you he could. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, Lewis said. That's what I thought humility was, thinking less of myself. That's false humility. Lewis says humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is merely thinking of yourself less. That's a big difference. Why? Because you're thinking of others. That's a big, big difference, isn't it? Now, let's finish. Third point that we see from this text. Neighbors know the forgotten secret to greatness. When Jesus walks in this room, he'd spent three years with his disciples, teaching them. They'd watched him perform miracle after miracle, message after message, but they still didn't get it. They were arguing over who was going to be the greatest. Why is that? Because, listen, listen, I want to say something that's going to kind of spin you out for a second. That wasn't necessarily wrong. That's really a part of all of us. We, 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 want, to be, we want to be great. Right? Whatever we're doing, we want, to be, we want to be great in it. They just didn't know how to get there. The path that they were on was the wrong path. And Jesus is showing them for the forgotten way because everybody, here's what's a part of all of us, all of us at some level will say, well, you know, this humility talk, what's in it for me? Is that okay to say that? You've talked about humility is putting another person's needs ahead of your own. Humility is treating somebody like it's their birthday. Humility is just kind of working out of a place. Where, but but, but let, let me just be honest, what's in it for me? Let me show you what's in it for you. Humility, humbly serving others, is the forgotten path to greatness. John 13, 17, look at it, look at it, look at it. Now that you know these things, this is fresh on the hills of Jesus, stooping and washing his disciples' feet. He says, now that you know these things, you will be what? Blessed if you do them. This is the forgotten path to greatness. This is what people don't know. Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. Matthew is telling the same account. Now listen to this story. This, by the way, is a, a scripture memory. These verses I have to have memorized for my small group Wednesday. So thank you for letting me uh, try to recite these in front of you before I get in front of, in front of my guys. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 20. Not so with you. Whoever wants to become great among you must be my servant. Whoever wants to be first must be willing to be your slave. Just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, this is, this is the forgotten path to greatness. Now, I'm going to throw something out, and, and, and maybe you may not pick it up, but it, 
It's powerful if you can. When Jesus says, whoever wants to be great must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. In the context of washing the disciples' feet, watch this. Servants, Jewish servants didn't wash feet. Who washed feet? I told you at the beginning. Non-Jewish slaves. He says, if you want to be first, you want to be head of the class, realize there's nothing beneath you. You risk. Risk it and serve as unto me. That's the forgotten path to greatness. If you want to, get to the top and stay there. Nothing wrong with that. It's just most people's road to the top is through manipulation, through dishonesty, harming other people. Most people just get there the wrong way. If you want to get to the top, stay there. We need to humbly serve those above, below, and around us. You want to get to the top and stay there, humbly serve those above, below, and around us. You want to get to the top and stay there, humbly serve those above, below, and around us. This is forgotten path to greatness. I love this in Proverbs. I'm almost done. You guys are doing great. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 28. This is King Solomon giving some wisdom to his son, Rehoboam, who's going to take over the kingdom after Solomon dies. Now, think about this. Any of you moms or dads, you own your own business, and you're going to pass it down to your children, wouldn't you want to tell them, here's how you keep the business? Wouldn't that make sense? Solomon says, I'm the king. Boy, here's how you keep the kingdom. You get it? And we get to eavesdrop. And listen, Proverbs 20, 28, love and faithfulness keeps a king safe. Solomon says, hey, boy, you want to keep this kingdom, the golden age of Israel? You want to keep this kingdom and all these 12 tribes under you? Love. How do you know that we're loving? Humility is the way to to practically live love out. Love and faithfulness keeps a, keeps a king safe. Through love, his throne is made what? Secure. You know what Rehoboam did? His daddy died. First Kings tells us this. His daddy died. Solomon died. After Solomon died, Rehoboam's king. This is what his daddy told him. He told him the forgotten path to greatness, love and faithfulness. The 12 tribes of Israel came before young King Rehoboam and said, hey, it's been a tough stretch. We love serving your dad, but we, we built a temple, we built his palace, and we're, we're kind of exhausted. How about we take just a little bit of a break? Could you ease up on us? This is, this is my translation. And Rehoboam goes to, after he listens to them, he says, give me a couple days. He goes to his, his father's advisors, the elder men in his life, and said, what should I do? Should I ease up on them? And they said, remember what your daddy said. If you love them, if you'll serve them, they will serve you and they will never turn their back on you. So yes. He says, but if you make it tougher on them, he says, you could risk losing it all. Rehoboam goes to some of his young, I'll call them just punk friends. That's not in the Bible, that's my words. And he says, hey, hey here, here's what the 12 tribes are saying. They say I should maybe ease up. And, and here's what they say. You tell them this, Rehoboam. You tell them that your peaky is bigger than your daddy's waist. And you thought he taxed you. You hadn't seen anything yet. He disciplined you with whips. There's scorpions coming from me. Tell them that. That's how you control them. Rehoboam thought. Rehoboam chose. He chose the advice of the young punk friends. Brought the 12 tribes together, and he told them what his young punk friends told him to tell them. And you know what happened? Ten of them that day said, check, please, we're out. The kingdom divided. He lost it because he didn't understand the forgotten path to greatness. You want a great marriage? I'm asking. Humbly serve your bride. 
You want great friendships? Humbly serve those in your life. You want a great business? Humbly serve your customers and your employees. You want a great walk with Christ? Humbly serve him through serving the body. At some point you say, Jesus, I I don't want to be a consumer. I want to be a contributor. As soon as I'm done talking, I'm going to walk down here to the Explorer Lunch. Some of you, you need to, you need to join me down there. It's, it's time to, to come and be a part of a local body of believers. You want freedom from stronghold, an addiction, whatever that is in your life, an addiction that is plaguing you, and you've tried everything, why don't you try serving others? Take your attention off yourself for a moment and serve others, humble yourself and serve others. It is the forgotten path to greatness and the irony of life, and I'm done. The irony of life is that our greatest satisfaction doesn't come from grabbing the throne. It comes when we grab the towel. That's the irony in life. This isn't the game of thrones. The greatest irony in life doesn't come from reaching for the throne. It comes from reaching for the towel. Last thing, Jesus is trying to wash Simon Peter's feet. And and Simon Peter says, no, you're never going to wash my feet. Can I speak to some of you? There's 10, 15, 20 of you in this room. There's some of you watching, watching online. Here's what you need to hear. That's a picture of you. Here's what Jesus is saying to Pete. He's saying, Pete, let me love you. Hey, let me love you. But all your life, you've been fighting against that. I don't know how it looks for you, but you just keep struggling and resisting the love of Christ. Here's what he wants to do today. He wants to wash you. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to bless you with his spirit. He wants to empower you. He wants to give you purpose. He wants to give you meaning. He wants you to follow him. He wants to bring freedom in your life. Bottom line, he wants to love you. Would you let him? Would you let him? So many of us are like Simon Peter. We just keep fighting against the love of Christ. Has Jesus convinced you yet to let him love you? Why not? It was just before the Passover. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, to the fullest degree. And listen, if this doesn't rip you up, He shows the full extent of his love to a group of guys who betrayed him, sold him out, denied him, and vanished, fled when he needed them most, but he continued to love them to the fullest degree, continued to pour out his grace and his mercy to a bunch of dudes who had dirty sandals. Can I tell you something today? I don't know what you've picked up on your feet this week. I don't know where you've been and what you've been into. But I want to tell you something. He loves you to the end. 
there is no end to his grace and mercy, love, and his pursuit for you. Some of you are in Christ as believers, but you're so ashamed about some behaviors in the past. And he's saying, let me wash your feet. Agree with me about it. Don't fight against me. Let me love you to the end. I grew up, listen, I don't know if this is going to connect with anybody. I grew up thinking every time I sinned as a believer, God was mad at me. I never understood the concept of him loving me to the end. I couldn't get that. And the problem is when we think God is is mad at us, it just spirals us into more difficult behavior. But when we understand that with this room full of misfits, he loved them to the end, that's what he's doing here today. Is that not the coolest thing you've ever heard? Let him love you. Let him love you. Don't let your shame and your dirt and the muck and the mire that you've picked up this week keep you from letting him love you. That's the grace and the mercy of our God. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, teach us what it means to humbly serve as a reenactment of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.